may be seated. You don't have to stand the whole time. Aren't you glad for that? Anybody glad for that? Yeah. Uh, Romans chapter 12, a wonderful, wonderful couple verses, right? I want us to look at verse number one again, though, real quick. I beseech you, therefore. Do you see that therefore? What do we do whenever we see a therefore? We need to say why it's therefore, right? So we go back. And so we're going to do that first this morning. So I wanted to read a familiar couple of verses for you. And then we're going to talk about some probably less familiar verses that set the stage for that. Okay? So let's look back at Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse number 33. My first point this morning is this. Why surrender? Why should I surrender, Dan? Why should I do this? And I think the Apostle Paul gives us some insight into why you and I should be surrendered to what God, is, what God wants us to do. Uh, Romans 11 is a really wonderful, wonderful chapter. Many people don't look at it. It talks about the gospel and how it moves and the Greeks and the Gentiles and all this different dichotomy that was going on in the new church. Remember, the church is not very old in Romans. It's a very new concept, and so a lot of people were struggling with things. And in Romans chapter 11, verse number 33, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay, God breathed this out for us. It says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So why should I surrender? Number one, why should I surrender? Because of God's knowledge and wisdom. I should surrender because God knows what he's doing. We've got to understand this. It is not like I'm just walking off a cliff, okay? When I surrender and I say, okay, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm not like this, okay? That's not the idea. God knows exactly what he wants you to do. And God is thinking on a completely different plane than you and I. Oftentimes we pray and we talk to God and we say, God, I want you to do this. And God, it seems like God does the opposite. Why? God knows things that we don't. He's looking at things from a different perspective. So in Romans 11, verse number 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So let's look at God's knowledge. What does God know? I want you to understand God knows everything, okay? So if we wanted to say it, God is omniscient, okay? He knows everything. But God's knowledge, God tells us some things about his knowledge that I think will blow our brains this morning, okay? That's a good thing, okay? Making you think a little bit this morning. Psalm 147, verse number four. Look at this verse. He telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. Here we are in 2023, and we still have no idea how many stars there are. Right? You understand that, right? It is something that we, we're still, people apparently try to count them. It's not, you're never going to count them all. But God knows the number of stars, and not only does he know the number of stars, he has a specific name for every star, and that is truly amazing. Uh, my little girl, Michaela, she knows a lot about space. She loves space. One of the things that she rattled off was J1407b. If you're curious what it is, it is Super Saturn. Basically, it's got 200 times the rings of Saturn. It's a dwarf planet millions of light years away that they found. She knows a lot. Chris, when we were at camp, he was kind of quizzing her about stuff, and she's just rattling it off. She knows a lot about space, but she doesn't know everything. But I want you to understand, God does. Why? He made it. And the amazing thing is, he spoke it all into existence. Isn't that an amazing thing? He, he spoke it all into existence in like that, and bam, they're there. And I, we can't even count them all. It's a truly amazing thing. 
God knows the number of the stars and their names. God knows a lot. But I also want you to understand this morning that God knows your heart. 1 John chapter 3, verses 20 through 23, talk about this. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do these things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Here's the thing, beloved. If you know Christ as your Savior, great. You should love one another. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you should accept him today. You should place your faith in him. God is very clear. He knows your heart. Uh, You may have everybody in this church fooled. You haven't fooled God. You may in your heart of hearts today wish that you were anywhere but here at Harvest. God knows your heart. You haven't fooled him. God knows your heart. That's a, that's a very convicting truth, isn't it? That is a very convicting truth to me because it is easy for me to put on a shirt and tie. It's easy for me to put on a suit coat. But man, it is hard for me to keep my heart clean before him. Anybody else feel that? Anybody else? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. God knows your heart. You haven't fooled him. God also knows our deeds Hebrews 4.13 says this, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God knows you and he knows your deeds. He knows what you did this week that you don't want anybody to know about. He knows. He knows how you treated your family this week. He knows. He knows how you treated your children. He knows how you treated your, your boss. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows your deeds. All things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That is a convicting truth. In another verse, it talks about how God beholdeth the good and the bad that we do. Oftentimes we focus on the bad, but God also knows the good that we do that nobody knows about. When you help that person, when you've given them some cash and nobody knows, your God does. He sees everything. He knows your deeds. Jeremiah 29.11 is a wonderful verse, but God knows his plan for us. We're going to kind of talk about this after we read this verse because we've got to understand what is going on. Look at this. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Who is Jeremiah writing this about? Do you remember what Jeremiah is known for? He's known for being the weeping prophet. Why was he weeping? Because God said, judgment is coming, and there's nothing that's going to happen. They are not, their hearts are going to stay hard. Their judgment is coming. Jeremiah's ministry was a very hard ministry. But God says this towards the end of Jeremiah, hey, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. The thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God is about to give them very harsh judgment. But God says, hey, I have a plan for you. So often it is easy for us as Christians sometimes to look at our world, to look at America, and say, wow, God's judgment is coming, right? It's easy. Sometimes we, we can't really turn our back away from it. We see what God, had, what God had done to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see our nation, and we're like, they're kind of lining up, right? We see it. But I want you to understand something. God has a plan for you. And God has a plan for our nation, Now, whether you want to be a part of that plan or not, God has a plan for this nation. 
So don't, don't get discouraged. God, in, in Jeremiah 29, he talks about his plan, and he says, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be in this foreign land, and you're going to be there for so long, and hey, I got a plan to get you out, and this is what's going to happen, and God does it all. God has a plan, and he's going to execute that plan. This is a great verse, but we've got to understand the context, because I think when we understand the context, there is so much deeper meaning. This isn't just a good verse to just quote. God is speaking to people that their hearts are so hard that they're doing exactly the opposite of what they know God expects of them. And God says, hey, I have a plan for you. And I want you to understand, God still has a plan for his people. He hasn't accomplished it yet. It's still coming. God has a plan for his people. And this verse is still talking about that. So, God's knowledge. We understand that God's knowledge is infinite, right? We talk about this wise surrender. God knows everything. But if we look at this, we also see something else. In Romans 11, verse number 33, we see another part. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We talked about his knowledge. Now let's talk about his wisdom. I should have flipped them, but it's fine. We're going to talk about his wisdom now, God's understanding. Not only does God know things, he understands them too. God knows what he wants you to do, but he knows how he's going to accomplish that plan in your life. When I was a teenager, God called me to the ministry. I hated talking to everybody. I don't like talking to my parents. I don't like talking to my brother or my other brother or my sister. I don't like talking to anybody. I'm like, God, how can you use somebody like me who doesn't like talking to anybody? And yes, guess what? God developed me over time. It took, it took a while for me to surrender to God's plan. Okay, I was like, there's no way. I'm not perfect like pastor. By the way, pastor's not perfect. Nobody is. I'm not. Dave's not. Charles isn't. Nobody's perfect. You're not either, Okay. But God wants to use you, and God develops you, and God continues to develop you. His wisdom is infinite. So let's talk about his wisdom. Back in Psalm 147, verse number 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. How does that work? How do you have infinite understanding? How do you know everything and also know how everything is going to work out? It is truly an amazing thing. And I think sometimes you start developing kind of your understanding of God and you realize that you are like that small. If I could go any smaller, I could. I would. I'm like, I'm like a speck, smaller than a speck, a speck on a speck compared to my God. My God is absolutely way beyond me and he understands everything. This morning you may be hurting. And I know some of you are. God's understanding is infinite. You understand that this morning? His understanding is infinite. I'm so thankful that I, when I talk to God, he is a God who is touched with my infirmities. He's touched with what I am touched with. He's a God who knows what it's like to suffer loss. He knows what it's like to suffer disappointment. He knows what it's like to suffer rejection. I'm so glad that when I talk to him, he's not like some God that's completely removed from his creation. He's a God who came and was a part of his creation. Aren't you thankful for that? That is an amazing thing. And when you talk to him and you don't even know what to say, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit does. His understanding is infinite. 
Look back at Romans chapter 11, verse number 33 again. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know what that means? His understanding way surpasses ours. Sometimes when we pray, we say, God, here's this situation, and here's how I expect you to answer it. Right? Anybody ever pray like that before? Okay, I'm talking to God. Hey, I want him to work in this, and God, if you do it this way, then I can see you being glorified. God does not have to do it the way you expect. And I'll say this, and this is going to sound harsh, how foolish of us to give God advice. Romans 11 is going to talk about, there, about that here in a second. It is foolish for you and I to try and give God advice of what he should do. God knows what he is doing. And when I start doubting that, I'm going to be the one that's wrong, not him. Do you know what I'm saying? When I pray and I say, hey, God, I want you to do this, and I want you to answer it this way, and God does it the opposite, he's not the one that's wrong. I am. His ways are past finding out. His knowledge, his wisdom is way past ours. This is pretty cool because I don't like storms. Anybody wake up to that storm? When was that? That that was insane, wasn't it? God understands even the weather. It's 2023 and you would expect that the weather would actually be accurate. Anybody? Anybody else there? I mean, I've got more computing power in my cell phone than what sent us to the moon and yet we can't figure out the weather. But I want you to look at a wonderful passage in Job. You understand Job goes beyond just Job's trials. Job chapter 28, God is having this big discourse with Job, and I love it because Job began to question God and what he was doing, and God says, hey, Job, when I did this, where were you? And Job's basically sitting there going, yeah, you're right. So Job, Job 28, verses 23 through 27 says this, God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh towards the end of the earth, and seeth under the whole heaven, to make the weight for the winds, and weigheth the waters by measure. When he had made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then did he see it, and declare it. He prepared it, yea, and searched it out. You know what that means? God sends the rain. It's a pretty cool thing. I don't have to do a rain dance to get the rain to come. I can't dance anyway. It'd be terrible. Um, I'm so thankful that I can talk to God, and God is the one that provides the rain. We still don't understand the wind and how it all works, but God measures it out. How do you measure wind? How does that work? Aren't you thankful that your God is beyond you? If God had my capabilities, man, I wouldn't be serving a great God, would I? I'm so thankful that my God is bigger than me. Uh, Hebrews 1, we don't have this verse today, but Hebrews 1, I think it's verse 3. It talks about how he upholds the world by the word of his power. Um, you know, we talk about how the whole world is in the palm of his hand. He doesn't have to do that. He just says, hey, stay. And the earth goes, okay. Isn't that cool? He doesn't have to say anything else. I have two dogs. I have Abby and Bailey, and they're going to be hanging out with the berries for the next few days while we're, we're heading up to Michigan. I can tell my dog, hey, Abby, sit. And she'll sit sometimes. <laughs> and I say, Abby, stay. And she'll stay for about half a second. And then she'll run away. Aren't you glad that the world doesn't do that? That when God says stay, it stays? Because if not, we wouldn't be here. A little bit off, we'd be too cold. A little bit off, we'd be too hot, and we'd all die. God says stay, and the earth stays. 
Your God is a great God. He understands everything. And this morning, I want you to understand something. Why should I surrender? Because my God is much bigger than me. That is the idea that Paul is trying to get across here to the Roman church. I, I want you to understand something. Your God is bigger than you. He doesn't have to do things the way that you expect. And so later on when he says, hey, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body living sacrifice, there's a reason for it. I can trust him because he's bigger than me. Get what we're getting at? Okay, so not only is God's knowledge huge and his wisdom is huge, but I want you to understand this too. There's a great doctrine that God is transcendent above his creation. Romans 11.34. It says this, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? We've kind of hinted on this already. God does not need your advice. God doesn't need you to say, hey, God, you should do this because you can be glorified. God can be glorified by whatever he wants to do. God doesn't need your advice. He's never asked for advice. God doesn't need direction. God already knows what he's going to do, and he has a perfect plan. Now, I don't. I don't know what God's plan is for me. Neither do you. I know what his plan for me today is. I don't know what his plan for me is in 10 years. I don't know. But when I start surrendering to his plan, and I start doing his plan, which we're going to talk about in a minute, then God reveals more of his plan. Sometimes we're like, God, what do you want? Teens do this all the time. God, what do you want me to do in 20 years? You do what God wants you to do right now, and he will reveal it. You read your Bible, you spend time in prayer, you witness, you do the things you know you should do. You abstain from fornication, you have... You talk right, you hang around the right kind of people, you attend church faithfully, God will reveal his plan to you. So often I'm like, God, I want to know what your plan is for me 28 years from now. I want to know what is going to be my 401k when I'm ready to retire. Don't worry about that. You do what God wants you to do right now. In this moment, God doesn't need your advice. He doesn't need it. I also want you to understand that God is transcendent. Not only in his wisdom, right? He doesn't need our counsel. But God is transcendent even in giving. Look at verse number 35 of Romans 11. It says this, Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. You know what that means? God is not indebted to anyone. God has never borrowed money from anybody. He hasn't gone up to David Wyrick and gone, Hey, Dave, I need some money. No. God doesn't borrow from anyone. He has plenty of supply. He's not indebted to you. We're indebted to him, but he is not indebted to us. Well, we've got to get this. Because sometimes it's easy for us to think, wow, God got somebody when he got me because look at all the stuff I do. I want you to understand that is, that is the furthest from the truth. God does not need you. God has a plan and he has a way and he's going to work it. He doesn't need you. You need him. And you need his direction. And you need his help. And so when he says, hey, God doesn't, has never given and he doesn't need recompense. He's not saying he's ever given before. He's given to all of us. What he's saying is, hey, God is not indebted to you. We are indebted to him for everything. God is transcendent in wisdom. God is transcendent in giving. God is transcendent in purpose. This is good. Because again, he's setting us up for Romans 12. This is the last verse before we get to Romans 12. Verse number 36. In his purpose, it says, for of him 
and through him and to him are all things. To him, whom be glory forever. Amen. Of him, he is the creator. He made you. Exactly the way he wanted you to be. I wish I had hair. Anybody else? Kind of there? Josh, you there? Okay. We got some guys. Edgar, you have tons of hair. Okay? I wish I had hair. You, you people who have hair have no idea how hard it is sometimes. You walk into stuff and you skin the top of your head. You know how bad that hurts? <laughs> oh, you're laughing. The bold people aren't laughing because it hurts. You know how bad it hurts to get sunburned on the top of your head? It hurts. But God made me exactly the way he wanted me to be. You may be tall. Shane, you may be short. I won't say names. Okay? <laughs> Why is that? When people are tall, you can say it. When they're short, you can't. I don't understand it. But anyway, God made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. He created you for a purpose. You get what I'm saying? He created you for a purpose, and we're going to get to this in a minute. Through him, right, for of him and through him, he is a sustainer. You cannot do ministry, you cannot do the Christian life without him. You may be able to do good things, but you will not have an impact. You can pass out all the tracks in the world. If you're doing it for yourself, you're not going to have an impact. He is a sustainer. Every breath you have is a gift from God. Every ability you have is a gift from God. I look across this room. There are a lot of people that I know that are gifted in different areas. Mechanically, mentally, whatever it is, physically, you're gifted in all these different areas. God has gifted you that way for a purpose. We're going to get to this in Romans 12. He has gifted you for a purpose. So use that giftedness for his glory. Some of you can walk and you can pass out tracks. Some of you can't. It's okay. Get up and do it if you can. See what I'm saying? If you can't, you spend time, legit time, praying for those who can. You, you may be gifted in other areas, but let me tell you something. You may be old in this church. You have a ministry in this church. You may not be able to walk like the teens can. You pray for us. Get what I'm saying? You may not be able to do what you used to be able to do. So what? Do what you can. God has gifted you. God has sustained you. It is of him and through him. And what's the next one? To him. He is the purpose. He's the reason why we do what we do. If you came to church this morning for any other reason than bringing glory to your God, there's a problem. If you're passing out tracks for any other reason than bringing glory to God, there's a problem. Understand what I'm saying? I can come up to you and say, hey, I want you to pass out tracks. And you go, you're not bringing God glory with that attitude, are you? See, we talk about teens and we talk about young people. Hey, you need to obey your parents with a good attitude. But oftentimes adults, we don't think that applies to us. How does that work? We say, hey, teens, you need to read your Bible every day, and we as adults don't. How does that work? Hey, you need to spend time in prayer, and yet we haven't talked to God since Wednesday, and there's no, there's no and even then, some of you don't even come to Wednesday night. How does that work? See, sometimes we need to get it that the, the reason why I do what I do is not for me, it is for him. 
The reason why I'm going to keep pressing on and keep bringing God glory is not because of me. I, I'm at the point, okay, I started losing hair at 19, okay? So I was in high school. At some point, you stop caring what people think about you because you're losing hair. Everybody's making fun of you. I don't care, okay? Stupid. Sometimes we need to get kind of in that attitude where, okay, you know, I'm going to serve God, and I don't care what people say about me. Right? Everyone? Jen, are you getting it? You getting it? For of him and through him and, and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. He is setting you up this morning. I love the Apostle Paul because he does this all the time. He makes these statements. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, boy, I get it. And then get ready. We talked about why should I surrender. Now let's talk about how to surrender. How should I surrender? Romans 12, a great couple of verses, a couple of verses that should impact your heart this morning. If it doesn't, man, there's something going on inside, and you need to figure out what that is. Because I think all of us this morning, if we get it, will find ourselves not living Romans 12. Let's look at this verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, we've seen why that therefore is therefore, now let's look at it, by the mercies of God... That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So there's some cool, like, little statements here in these verses, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, what's that next phrase? By the mercies of God. Let's look at the mercies of God. Because I think sometimes we got to understand some stuff, right? If I'm going to understand this verse and what God has for me from this verse, i got to understand what he's talking about. So let's talk about the mercies of God. I want you to understand that God's mercy is God not giving you that which you deserve. Understand what I'm saying? So God's mercy is he doesn't give you that which you deserve, which is hell. God's grace is the opposite. He gives you that which you don't deserve, which is heaven. Okay? They work side by side. Without God's mercy, grace is meaningless. Without grace, his mercy is meaningless. They, they work side by side. So let's look at a verse here in, in Lamentations. Okay, we don't go there very often. Lamentations, chapter 3. I'm just thankful for the screen if you don't have to go there, because you probably would never find it. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse number 22. Look at this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Lamentations is written by that same guy we talked about earlier, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, lamentations means weeping, right? You lament. This is his heart. And he goes, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Remember, God's judgment is coming, and God works in a miraculous way for the nation of Judah. God sends them to a place where they can keep their identity and they can keep pure lines. Why? Because God promised them that the Messiah was coming. God was working all of this out for his purpose, Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. I want you to understand this morning that God's mercy is a great thing. You would not be here if it wasn't for his mercy. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his mercy. God's mercy is a great thing. And God's mercy makes our surrender possible. Okay? So let's look back at our verse, Romans 12, verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You see what he's saying? This is how this is going to happen. This is going to come from the mercies of God. 
You are not doing this all on your own. It comes by the mercies of God. Now let's continue to read here. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. To the Romans and to the early church, this meant something that I think sometimes we miss the point. You realize that a living sacrifice was not something that happened, right? When the Israelites sacrificed a lamb, what did they do? They cut the throat and they bled it out and then they burn it on the offering. It wasn't a living sacrifice, okay? It died first. And so for us to understand this, we've got to understand part of the Old Testament that God says, okay, to the nation of Israel, you are to offer these things for your sins, And this is how you are to do it. God was very clear. If you want to read it, look at Leviticus, look at the Old Testament, you can study it. It's a great picture of what Jesus Christ is going to do or what he's done. But when he says, hey, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, God is being very clear. A living sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice, is a purposeful action. You don't just lay down on a pile of stones with wood on it and they're about to light you on fire and go, okay, yeah, this is great. It is a purposeful action. Okay? You would want to get up. You'd want to move. It is purposeful. Jesus talks about some of this purposeful action in Luke 9, verse number 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see what he's saying? He's saying this is a daily action. This morning, you may come to this altar and you may say, okay, God, I surrender to what you, want, what you have for me. It is not a one-time thing. When I was young, I had a lot of people that preached about surrender and they preached about these kind of messages. And I'm like, okay, I surrender. And then that week, guess what I did? I fell. I was no longer surrendered. Why? Because it is not a one-time thing. It is a daily thing. You see what Jesus says? Take up his cross. What? What's the next word? Say it out loud. Daily. Daily. It is an everyday thing. It is an every moment thing. You got to pick up your cross and you got to follow him. You got to every day place yourself back on the altar and say, okay, God, I'm a living sacrifice to you. It's an everyday thing. It is a purposeful action that you're going to have to do every day. It's not a one time thing, it's not a one time decision. It is a daily decision. It is purposeful. But I also want you to understand. That it is a struggle. Anybody realize that? It is a struggle to live this kind of life, to be a living sacrifice. It is a struggle. I love the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul is so, like, wide open, right? In Romans chapter 7, he says something that I think some of us would probably struggle with saying this morning. Let's look at it. For I know that in me... That is, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. We're going to stop there for a second. We're going to look at the next one. How many of you would be like, walking around and be like, hey, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Man, I am, I am struggling. When you walk into church, we all act like, oh, I'm hot, blessed, and highly favored. I am doing great. <laughs> and yet you know, you know in your heart, you're anything but great. Sometimes I think it'd be good for us to say, hey, you know what? I'm struggling. You know what? I I need some advice. I I need some help. I I don't know what to do. That's not a bad thing. 
It's not a bad thing to say, hey, you know what? I'm struggling with pornography or, hey, I'm struggling with my Bible reading. Hey, I'm struggling with whatever it is. I'm struggling and I've got real struggles in my life. I'm struggling with lying. I'm struggling with just being a jerk. I'm struggling. I need some advice. I need some help. Hey, that's why the pastoral staff is here. You understand that, right? That's why I'm here. That's why Pastor Josh is here. That's why Dave's here. That's why Charles and Pastor are here when they're here. That's why they're here. That's why Pastor Lewis is here. That's why we're here. That's why Pastor Belcher is here. We want to help you. But we cannot read your mind. When you come in, you go, oh, I'm great. We say, okay, you're great. Awesome. I can't read your mind. I don't know what's going on. Your God does, but you need to sometimes open up. And I'm so thankful that the Apostle Paul did because sometimes it's hard. You see Pastor Holmes standing up here and he looks great and he's fit and, you know, he's got a nice blue suit on or whatever and he's looking all fancy and I'm like, dude, I'm fat, slow, and bald and I don't look like him. (laughs) I'm thankful that the Apostle Paul said, hey, I have a struggle. In verse number 19, he doesn't stop with verse number 18. He goes even further. For the good that I would do, I would, I do not. But the evil that which I would not, that I do. All of us would say, hey, Apostle Paul, you are an incredible Christian. And the Apostle Paul goes, hey, I know that in me that is in my flesh will have no good thing. And hey, the good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad I know I shouldn't do, I do. The Apostle Paul struggled, and so will you. It will be a struggle. But I'm so thankful this morning that I'm not struggling alone. Get what I'm saying? Sometimes we think we're all in this alone and we are not. Your God is there. He cares and he wants to show you things in his word. If you will only show a little bit of effort, God wants to reveal himself to you. Do you understand that? Why did he give you this book if he didn't? So often I'm like, God, I... I don't know what I should do. This is kind of hard. Everything you need is right here. And so often, we leave it on a shelf and it just collects dust. And we wonder why it's such a struggle. God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given you everything you need. So, Use it. It's going to be a struggle. But I also want you to understand that not only do we see here in Romans 12, look again in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Look at this last phrase. Which is your reasonable service? You know what he's saying? It just makes sense. Why should I surrender? Because it just makes sense. It is your reasonable service. Well, how does that make sense? That I should present my body a living sacrifice unto God because of the price that was paid for you. 1 Peter 2.24, I love this verse. This is talking about Jesus. If you you go back a few verses, there's no doubt that this is talking about Jesus. It goes who, 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 and the last thing it was referencing was Jesus. It says this, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. You understand that this cross up here is not just a fancy wood thing. It is a reminder to us constantly when we walk through this building or we walk into this building of the price that was paid for us. 
Why is it reasonable, Dan? Because of what God did for you. Jesus Christ became man and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, yes, but he took upon himself our sins. Why is it reasonable? Because what he is asking me to do doesn't compare to what he did. It's reasonable. It just makes sense, church. It just makes sense. Here's another verse, if you doubt me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Apostle Paul, again, smokes our dome this morning. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. You know what he's saying? He's saying you have been purchased, and now God expects something from you to bring him glory. Why does it make sense, Dan? Because you have been bought. Your body doesn't belong to you. It is not your body, your choice. That is baloney. That is not true. You have been purchased. And God has every right to tell his purchased redemption, you, what to do. What gives God the right? Oh, wow, that's a dangerous statement. God has every right because he paid a tremendous price for you. But that also, I want you to understand this, church, that shows you your value to him. Pastor said this one time, and I love it, and I steal it all the time. A value, the value of an item is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. The value of humans is what God was willing to pay, and he sent his son. I, I love you all. I ain't sending my son to die for one of you. I'm not, but he did. That shows you your value to God. Sometimes you may not feel valuable. That doesn't matter. Your value is revealed by what God was willing to pay. Look at verse number two of Romans 12. So, we have seen a recognition. How should I surrender? A recognition that my body doesn't belong to me, that is by the mercies of God and all those other things we looked at. Now let's look at the transformation that God wants to do in your life. These ver- this verse is incredible. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want you to understand that these two terms mean very specific things. Conformed, that first one, be not conformed to this world, means to be pressed into a mold. If I had any Play-Doh in my house that was not as hard as a rock, I would bring it into you and show you what to do. It's the idea of taking Play-Doh and pushing it into a mold, right? You get the Play-Doh out, it looks like the object that you pressed it into. That is how he's talking about the world. The world has pressures and is trying to force you into its mold. There's not a huge change, it's just the outward, right? The Play-Doh is still Play-Doh. I can press it and do anything I want with it, it's still going to change. But I'm pressed into that mold, and as long as it's not pressured any other way, it's going to stay the same. Why has our world advanced to the place where it is today, wicked-wise? Because they're being pressed constantly into a different mold. Okay? But look at this verse. And be not conformed to this world... But be transformed. That word is a very different word. That is talking about the idea of metamorphosis. Completely changed. Radically changed. If you look at a caterpillar and you look at a butterfly, they're not the same. It's not just wings just bowed out off this huge caterpillar and like, ah, flying around. Wouldn't that be weird? 
That'd be like hideous. If you see like this huge caterpillar, ah! it'd be not, not as pretty. But through the process of metamorphosis, that caterpillar becomes a butterfly, and it is not. You take the two, and they do not look alike. That is what God expects you and I to do. Look at what it says. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen, Dan? The renewing of your mind happens through Scripture. Psalm 119, verse number 9, talks about this. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man change where he is going? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So how does metamorphosis happen? How does the renewing of your mind happen? How does that transformation happen? It happens by you and I getting into the word of God. Joshua 1.8, incredible verse. It talks about a lot of things. It talks about, first of all, your intake, right? This word of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, right? It talks about intake. Then it talks about meditate, where you are dwelling on the word of God. You're regurgitating it, meaning you're constantly thinking about it. And then, that you may observe to do all that is written therein. And then it talks about obeying, doing what God expects of you. That is how all of us should take the word of God. I should be intaking it, meaning you should be listening to Clean Air Christian Radio. Yes, it's Clean Air Radio Day. Okay? You should be listening to Clean Air. Why? There are messages in there. That will impact your heart. You should be intaking the word of God, not just Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If you only ate three times a week, you'd all, we'd all look very differently. Okay? Let's just be truthful. So you've got to intake it. You've got to take it in. You've got to read it. You've got to come to church. You've got, you've got to be intaking the word of God. But don't just intake it. Meditate on it. Dwell on it. And then find out a way that you can apply it. Intaking and meditating without application is going to be a problem. If you intake it and you don't think about it, that's where a lot of us are. We come into church, we hear the word of God preached, we leave, we have no idea what was said. Okay? We got to intake it, I got to dwell on it, and then I got to put it into practice. God does not want you to fill up your head with knowledge, He wants you to take that knowledge and make it action. That's what He wants. A lot of us know a lot of stuff. We've had great preachers. Pastor Liss is a phenomenal preacher. Pastor Holmes is a phenomenal preacher. But you can take all of it in, and if you don't do it, you're like a guy looking in a mirror that's got a huge smudge on his face and doesn't do anything about it. I changed my brakes earlier this week. If I didn't take a shower, my hands would be black. My face was black because it was like, I was just like, like this, kind of trying to wipe the sweat off my face. I would look very different this morning. But so often, we come into the Word of God, we know we need to change, and we do nothing about it. You've got to apply it. So how can I renew my mind, listening to the Word of God, and applying the Word of God? He says it in Romans 12, verse number 2 again, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's not saying so you can say the perfect will of God. He's saying that you may prove it, meaning by your actions. Okay? We're not going to stop here in Romans 2, though. Romans 12, verse number 2. We're going to look at verse number 3 because we leave this one off. Don't worry, we're good. Okay? We're almost there. So, number one, a recognition, me understanding that it is a reasonable service. It is an expected thing. It just makes sense. A transformation, meaning I am completely changed. And then in verse number 3, he talks about one of the ways we should change. 
For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So the first thing I see here is an attitude of humility. That you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. I think when we understand this and we understand humility, humility is not like that Eeyore kind of mentality. Oh, I'm terrible. No, it's not the attitude. It's, remind, it's, rem, it's remembering, how do I write this? That you didn't earn anything. You are not here. You are not a Christian this morning if you know Christ as your Savior because of anything you did. That's not how it works. I didn't earn anything. I am a wicked, vile sinner that deserves judgment even today. But I'm so thankful that that is not how it works. Remember that any success that you have had or are having is because of your Savior's work in you. How can I not think of myself more highly than I ought to think? I need to remember that I didn't earn anything and remember that any success that I have had in my Christian life is because of God's work in my life. Okay, you're living a life and you have been surrendered and you're a living sacrifice. Great. But remember, you did not earn that place. So who am I to think I'm better than you? I'm not any better than you. Oftentimes I'm worse than a lot of you. I didn't earn anything. And so therefore, why would I ever think that I'm better than anybody else? But then he also says, For I say through the grace that given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. This is a sound mind. This means you are thinking correctly. You are thinking biblically. Here's how we can think that way. God has gifted Christians for the body. You are gifted in different areas. And that is a good thing. If you're all gifted in the same way, then we'd all be in trouble. Right? If everybody was talking, we wouldn't get anything. Okay? We're all gifted in different ways. And that is a good thing in the body. But you got to use your gift. You've been brought here to harvest for a purpose. You're not just here just to attend. You are here to do something great for your God. So come in, get involved, get involved in the body. But also, I want you to understand, look at, this, look at the last phrase here. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know what that means? God is still working in hearts. Amen. We went to camp a couple weeks ago. And I am still like on cloud nine. Is there any, cloud 10? What's the highest? Cloud nine, is that the highest? I don't know. 10, 11, 12 is probably where I'm at. I'm just, I'm floating on air. God did great things. That is great. God is still working on hearts, in teenagers' hearts. But is he working in yours this morning? God has dealt every man the measure of faith, meaning God is working in your heart. So when it's easy for you to look around and go, well, so-and-so, they don't, they get a bad attitude. God may still be working in their heart. And instead, be a part of God's work in their heart instead of being the reason that God's work ceases in their heart. Sometimes by our words and what we say, it's like, you know, putting water on a fire. We get up and say, oh, yeah, camp decisions, they don't last. Baloney. God called me to preach at camp. I wouldn't be here if my camp decision didn't stick. Didn't stick, okay? See what I'm saying? 
Stop pouring water on their hearts. Go, hey, I, I know God did something great in your heart, and I want to be a help. Hey, can I encourage you? Hey, is there something I can do for you? Hey, hey, oh, man, this is so exciting. And they may not seem excited, but they are when you do that. God is still working in hearts. God is still working in yours. So this morning, the real, purposeful surrender. All of us this morning need to examine our hearts. All of us need to say, okay, God, I surrender all. God, I'm not going to hold anything back. Some of you, you have never done this in your entire life. You need to come up here and you need to do business with God. And you need to say, God, I'm not going to rely on myself anymore. God, I surrender to your will. You know, we talk about our God reigns. We sing a beautiful song. Our God reigns, and he does. And whether or not you surrender to him, he is still reigning. So I don't know about you, but I would rather be a willful participant of God's work in the world than an unwilling one. So this morning... Do business with God. And tomorrow, get up. Read your Bible. So you know what, God, I surrender as a living sacrifice to you. Every day, this should be a part of our prayers. Every day, God, I surrender my life as a living sacrifice to you. That's what I desire. And I pray that's what you desire this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, let's stand up. Let's have a time of invitation. I want you, I want you this morning to not just be like, oh, no, he's done, great. I can go eat, fine. The eating will wait. There will still be food, I promise. You need to do business with God. Do it. While the instrumentalist plays a beautiful piano, I want you to do business with God this morning. Let's do it. Let's get right with him.